little little different approach. Uh, how many of you have your Believe book with you today? You just hold it up for a second there. I want to see those around there. I want to encourage you to bring these every Sunday. If you haven't got one yet, that's okay. They're still available out there. Uh, you can get that and also the study guide for just $20 for the both of them. The study guide is an opportunity for you to learn more in a small group setting, maybe a Bible class at our 9 o'clock hour, uh, or maybe some other setting that you want to develop there uh, on your own. That's great, because getting face-to-face -face with other people and discussing this really really deepens the study and helps it to uh, be applicable to our lives a lot more. I really want to get everybody in this. Even if you don't have money with you today, there are a few uh, free copies out there, so speak to Nancy about that. If you just really want to get one today and you're just tapped and don't have the cash for that, we, we want to help you out on that too. Um, I want to encourage you today uh, to think about something. I want you to think about something most preachers would never encourage you to do, and that is to encourage you to think about your doubts. <laughs> don't think about faith. Yeah, I want you to think about faith, but I want you to think about your doubts. What do you believe and why? And do you know for sure what you believe? Do you know for sure why you believe what you believe? Maybe you've spent a lot of time trying to figure things out here. Maybe, maybe you have, have spent a lifetime up to this point trying to figure out God and whether or not you should believe in Him, whether or not you should put your faith in Him, whether or not you should live for Him. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you really haven't given it that much thought. And maybe you have this morning a lot of doubts. I want you to know that's okay. We, we want you to bring your doubts with you to this study of belief. Because we want in this doubting, in this questioning, in the struggle itself, to discover a real and lasting faith. You're not going to discover that if you try and skim across the surface like I used to do when you take that smooth rock, you know, and flip it across that smooth, glassy lake. That, that's not the kind of faith we're talking about. We're, we're talking about a faith that goes down to the bottom and goes through the... Otherwise, I would just keep that on going here. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is not a place where you go where you no longer have any struggles, no longer any questions. Faith is believing despite your doubts. And almost everyone has some doubts that they are perhaps afraid or ashamed to express. So as we begin believe, I just want to encourage you to confess your doubts to God. Get them out there. To be very real, to be, be very honest. We're going to talk about that today. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the famous tightrope walker, Blondin? Uh, about 100 years ago, he amazed everybody. There's a new movie coming out, you know, about another tightrope walker who got it between the Twin Towers in New York. But this is not the same guy. This is a guy 100 years ago who amazed people. He built a a place across Niagara Falls and stretched a cable across there and every year he would come up with a grander scheme for what he would do by crossing the falls to everyone's amazement. The first year, you know, he went across there, he's got the big pole to balance him and everything and then he decided to ramp it up a little bit and he decided to go across there carrying some heavy weight on his back and no longer any pole and then the next year he decided he went out there and he cooked a little breakfast out there in the middle of the falls out on this rope and ate the breakfast and everybody's like, 
wow, how can you do that, you know? And then he, the, the, the next year, he took a wheelbarrow, had a little special wheel on it, you know, that had a groove in it so it would hold on to that tape cable. And he pushed this wheelbarrow across and he said, you know, how many of you think I could do that if I load a sack of potatoes in here? So he put a sack of potatoes, he went back across the other side. And everybody's so impressed by it. How many of you think, he said, that I could put a man in here and put him across the falls and back? And everybody said, yeah, you could do that. You just put a sack of potatoes across. So yeah, you could do that. It says, do you want to be the man? There was a kind of an authority figure there, you know, like the, the local magistrate. And he says, how about you, sir? You want to get in there? And he says, no, I believe you could do it, but let somebody else go. And that, that was the basic approach that everybody in that, that crowd had. I believe you can do it, but I'm not going to entrust my life to you. And maybe that's kind of where your faith is this morning. Maybe that's the expression. I believe in you, God. I believe that you came in Jesus Christ. I believe believe that, that you have offered salvation, and that's really good. But I'm not right to the point where I'm willing to, to trust my life or my marriage or my kids to you. I'm struggling. I'm caught in the middle here. I want to think about that today. I want to believe you, God, but I have these nagging doubts. Is that where you are? This morning we launched Believe. It's a 30-week journey through the top beliefs practices, and virtues of the Christian faith. Ten weeks in each. We're going to do the first ten before Christmas. We'll do the other twenty after Christmas. And it's going to be an amazing journey for our church. But before we embark on this journey, I just want to let you know that nobody is going to make you believe anything you don't want to believe. We understand that everybody's at some point in time, at some place, and we want to help you get further. We want to help you get closer to God. Some of you are here just kind of checking out the whole Christianity thing, not sure what you believe, whether you even believe there is a God. That's okay. You're invited. We want you to be part of the study. We want you to be real and honest about your feelings. You are not alone. Others of you are new Christians. And maybe you're just trying to figure some things out, figure out how to get your feet on the ground, how to, you know, to, to be part of things and, and to keep growing. And, and you really got a lot of questions. And so this is a great time, place for you to be. You're not alone because there's a lot, a lot of people that are Kind of just, just beginning this walk. And there are those, perhaps, that have been Christians for a long time. Maybe you'd raise your hand, yeah, I've been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And yet, your faith is struggling because you're kind of bruised, or you're kind of battered by life, and by maybe somebody else. Maybe, maybe somebody's hurt you really bad, and they were a brother or sister in Christ, and maybe a church situation was really tough for you, and you're struggling because of the people of God still believing in God. You know what you're supposed to do, but just can't quite get there. And maybe there are some of you that have grown up in the faith. Uh, you've grown up in church. Your parents took you every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, maybe every Wednesday night, and you just kind of inundated with this all your life. But when you got older and it was your choice, you drifted away. And you're wondering, where am I now? I'm unsure. Now, you're not alone either. Because every one of those situations are people very much like you in them. So do you know what you believe? Do you know why? Do you realize this morning that that's becoming more and more important to know? Even as Americans. Uh, we, we hear stories like I heard this week of, of uh, workers in Syria, Christian workers, that were uh, uh, captured by ISIS. And they, they tried to get them to... to uh, you know, give up their faith in Christ, just become Muslims again, because they had been former Muslims, 
and they said, you know, deny your faith in Christ, become a Muslim again, we'll leave you alone. But if you don't, you're going to be killed. And all 11 of them were killed. Because none of them would deny their faith. They knew what they believed, they knew why. And they would rather have Jesus for eternity rather than lose Jesus in order to save their earthly life. And that comes closer to home, doesn't it? Oregon? Horrible, horrible shootings in Oregon this week at the community college. I understand that the shooter went person to person, asked them if they were a Christian or not. If they said they were a Christian, he shot him in the head. If they said they're not, shot him in the leg, they survived. I mean, a choice had to be made instantaneously. That happened in America. I'm not saying that's going to happen necessarily to any of us ever in this, this room, any time of our life. But there is daily an opportunity to show our faith or to deny our faith. So if you're in this place, I want to believe, but I find myself wavering in my belief, even doubting sometimes, what am I supposed to do? Well, you might think there's just two options, but really there's more. Sometimes we think this is all black and white. You're either fully on board or you're completely off board. You're either fully with it, fully committed, or, or you're just totally against God. Black or white. Either you get in the wheelbarrow or you stay on the side. But no, there's something in between there. The reality is that most of us operate on a continuum of belief. looks kind of like this. Disbelief, you know, there's no way I'm going to believe in this. I don't really care about this. But then, point in our life, we start saying maybe, maybe, possibly, I could believe. And then, even to the point where, you know, this is sounding pretty good. No? I, it's probable that I'll come to faith. And then eventually, you come to a conviction, and even a core conviction of your life, that this is what I am about. This is who I am. This is who I live for. This one named Jesus. There are two kinds of doubt. There's intellectual doubt, there's emotional doubt. Let's look at both of them. Intellectual doubt is brought on by uh, what seems like logical uh, di discrepancies. You know, things don't quite add up. Errors in, in reasoning. Maybe some paradoxes. It, I just can't make this work. It, I, I want this, but this is also true. And intellectually, we may struggle to believe some things from the Bible. To believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old, when a lot of other people telling us it's millions or billions of years old. Or that a snake talked to a man. Or that a man got swallowed by a giant fish. We just talked about that with Jonah. I have a hard time believing that Jesus walked on the water when I've never seen anybody do that. Whenever I step on water, I fall in. I have a hard time believing that Jesus rose from the dead because it's never happened to anybody I know or anybody in my lifetime. And if this is where you are, it's an intellectual thing, you're trying to reconcile intellectually what you've heard with reality, and you're not alone. In fact, one of Jesus' closest disciples, Thomas, had this problem, didn't he? Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, and Thomas wasn't there, and he struggled to believe the reality that they were telling him. Let's go over to chapter 20 of John. John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So Jesus is here appearing in the flesh after they knew he was dead, 
And they're shocked. And they're overjoyed. It says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathed on them. And he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him when he got back home. He said, We have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. A week later, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Quite certain he fell down on his knees, aren't you? Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We've not seen the risen Christ yet, but we will. We believe we will. You can understand Thomas's disbelief. People don't just rise from the dead every day, do they? It's logically impossible. So in his mind, he's saying, no, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. I don't know what you saw, but you didn't see him. And so he demanded this visual evidence, this tactile evidence. He needed something that he could see and touch or he could not believe. And I find that interesting because all of the disciples did the same thing, really. If you read back before this, in Mark 16, 11, Mary comes and reports that Jesus res has resurrected, that he's raised from the dead, and it says the disciples didn't believe her. And Luke tells us that four or five women came together with Mary, and they all reported that the tomb was empty, and the two angels had spoken to them and said that Jesus is risen from the dead, and, and you're going to see him. And it says they did not believe the women because their words to seem to them as nonsense. That's the intellectual doubt. And Thomas doubted maybe not only that Jesus could have risen from the, the grave, but he doubted the other disciples' word, their testimony. Uh, now wait on, guys. I, uh, I don't trust you. I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. It doesn't make sense. This is intellectual doubt. So intellectual doubt could be any of us, all of us, at some point. There's secondly, emotional doubt. Emotional doubt is brought on by hurtful or failed experiences of the past. Typically stems from having our expectations not met. And when you put your faith or your trust in something or someone, and it doesn't work out like you thought it would, and then it becomes difficult to have faith or to maybe trust anyone ever again. Nobody really likes to get burned, do they? They don't like to be fooled. They don't like to be disappointed. And so when this happens, we pull back and we protect ourselves the next time. We say things like this, I believe God would heal my loved one, but he didn't. I believe God would give us a baby, but we're still childless. I believe God would take care of our finances, but we still ended up going into bankruptcy. I believe this is what God wanted me to do, but it's turned out to be a disaster. We may even ask in a general way, how could a good God let innocent people suffer the way they do in this life? Things are not fair. Things are not just. How can God sit there idly by while these things are going on? 
Emotional doubts often stem from our desire to know why things happen the way they do. And we struggle there trying to get this figured out because it's hard for us to see the whole picture here that God sees. We don't know why our prayers are answered differently than we prayed them. I still believe God answers prayer four ways. He either says yes, no, wait, and are you kidding? <laughs> really? <laughs> and it's hard when he says no. And it's hard when he says wait. And especially when he says, are you kidding? Emotional doubt is also seen in the Bible. It's seen in an earlier event from Jesus' earthly ministry. Go with me back to Mark chapter 9. Jesus and Peter, James, and John have just gone up on the mountain. It's where he showed his glory to them. They've seen what is called the transfiguration. And, they, and he appears with Moses and Elijah there. And this is a fantastic event. And then he comes down the mountain with these three and he sees a crowd. The disciples are arguing with Pharisees and a bunch of other people about something. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit in this child saw Jesus, immediately it threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. He was often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, <laughs> said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Listen to this. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Heal him if you can. The disciples couldn't cast out this demon. The disciples couldn't help this man who was so anxious and fearful for his son's future, just his very life. And he came seeking Jesus. Jesus has gone somewhere. So he asked the disciples, heal this boy if you can. They can't. So his disappointment, this discouragement has settled over him. And when Jesus shows up, he says, Jesus, I hope you can do something, but I'm not sure now. I came here because I trusted. I came here because I heard that you could do this. Now I'm wondering. It's an emotional doubt. Heal him if you can. And he expresses so well what so many of us have felt. I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. That's where you may be today. That's where I am in my life at times. He was being totally honest about where he was in his faith. Like him, we may say, I want to believe, but my past experiences now cause me to doubt. I believe in my head, but my heart isn't quite there yet. I believe that you can do it, but I'm not sure you will. I believe a lot of things, but then there are some other things I still doubt. 
Jeff Gauss said, many of us don't have as many firm beliefs as we think we do. You know, we may feel really shored up and just fine about everything. But we have more doubts than we care to admit. He says, many times we doubt that which we most want to believe. We're afraid that if we discover it's not true, it will utterly destroy what little faith we have. So to safeguard ourselves, we build up walls of doubt to avoid any potential pain. Just not going to go there. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to try to work through that. I want you to break down those walls this morning. As we go into this study, break down those walls and confess these doubts, whether they're intellectual or emotional. Because God wants to answer both kinds. God has an answer for both kinds of doubt. He is not overwhelmed by our doubts. He doesn't try to duck them or, or try to avoid them. He is totally truthful with us. And even in preparation for those doubts, He has given us empirical, physical ways to show Himself, to show His Word to us, the truth of that Word. Next week we're going to look at Romans 1 and Psalm 19 for some of the evidence that God has left for all of us, for everybody on planet Earth. He's left evidence of Himself there. And it says in Romans 1, men are without excuse. God is faithful. He's proven that. He has been good to His promises. He's been true. He never caught Him in a lie. He is faithful even when we are not. And many times through His people, He has predicted what was going to happen. And it did. Everything He predicted happened. Every time. No one else can claim that. And I am confident that he will satisfy both our intellectual and emotional doubts if we let him. Notice Jesus' response to doubt in both of these cases we've looked at. Look at the emotional doubt of the father with the demon-possessed son. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked who? Not the man, the impure spirit. He said to the spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So he focuses his attention upon the spirit and takes care of the boy's problem and the dad's problem. Jesus was not offended by the father's skepticism. He didn't rebuke him for doubting, but rather he rebuked the evil spirit and healed his son. Look at the intellectual doubt Thomas expressed to the other disciples. John 20, 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus was not angered by Thomas's honest doubts. He didn't push him away. He drew him in. He pulled him closer and he said, Okay, let's, let's deal with this. Let's answer this. Let's figure this out. And though Thomas was guilty of, of some kind of disbelief, some, some kind of doubt, he is the only person in all four Gospels to make such an unequivocal statement of faith as he did next. Because when Jesus said that, he fell on his knees and said, My Lord and my God. He got it. And he got it right as soon as he saw Jesus and understood. He didn't even need to touch Jesus. Just the presence of the living Christ was enough for him to believe. Now, don't miss this. It was actually Thomas's doubts that paved the way to greater faith. It was the expression of his doubts that opened the door for his faith to grow. The one who had the most doubts of that group of disciples at that moment now is the one with the most faith. Don't miss that. 
And in the same way, Jesus invites us to come closer to the evidence, to see for ourselves, to draw our own conclusions. Emotionally, he will satisfy our hurts and our distress, and he will meet us personally there. Ultimately, our decision is not about doctrines or about beliefs, but about the person of Jesus himself. And still today, he meets us with these nail-scarred hands. And he says, touch me, feel me, know that I am real. I invite your inquiry. I invite your questions. I invite your struggles. So where do we go from here? Big question. 30 weeks? This whole big thick book called Believe and a study guide and discussions and weeks and weeks of this stuff. How do we get from doubt to faith? The journey of faith begins with a confession of unbelief. <laughs> confession of doubt. The question is, will we confess our doubts and struggles and open the door for growth? There's something really quite liberating about saying out loud what you truly doubt in your heart. There's something liberating when you get honest and transparent with God and when you admit who you are and what you're thinking and, and all the, the problems and the foolishness and the mistakes and sins of our lives. There's something really liberating in that moment. It's kind of like when you have a, a, a friend, you know, and you've, you've been very close, but now there's a distance there because of something, and you get together and you have this nitty-gritty heart-to-heart conversation. You just put it all out there. No holds barred. You just, just say, this is what I was feeling. This is what I thought. This is where I went with this. There's liberation in that when you each then forgive each other and you move on. It's the same way with God. There's something about expressing your true, raw, unpolished doubts to God that takes your relationship to a place it's never been. So maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you're like me, and I grew up, I was born on a Sunday night during the Sunday night service. Can anybody claim better than that? I wasn't born at the service. I was born at the hospital. But my mom knew the church was going on when I was born. And I grew up in church. Maybe you did too. I grew up going every time the doors were open, being part of the youth group, part of the Sunday school, part of all those special trips that were taken by different people, working in different ways, doing different things, and it just continued growing. But there came a time when I had to decide, is this my own faith? You can't ride the coattails of somebody else when it comes to faith, though we may try. It's a guy named Don that grew up this way. For him and his church, church was uh, you know, just really really hard line about faith. It's black and white. You know, you're either in or you're out. Everything is certain and sure. You either believe it or you're going to hell. And once he graduated from this bubble that was kind of around him and entered the real world, his black and white faith began to unravel. He grew up in an environment where any doubts, any questioning was seen as a threat to God and was not tolerated. So instead of having the opportunity to explore, to question, to discover true, authentic faith for himself, he had to settle for kind of a canned faith that was sold him as a package deal. Take it or leave it. Well, he took it because his whole family was in it, but later on he wondered, what did I just get? What did I buy? Unfortunately, I don't think that story is so much the exception as it is the rule. That may be where you are. I invite you to admit your, your, your doubts, your struggles, your issues. True confession of what we don't believe is the only path to true belief. 
And so our desire as a church, elders, deacons, uh, staff, our desire is to create a safe environment where this can happen. To create a place where people confess their doubts in church, in small group, in discussions with children and teens, even in your home as you talk about it with your kids. What a wonderful place to be true and honest about your faith and where you're struggling because your kids are going to struggle too. And if they hear dad and mom working through this stuff, what a powerful thing in their lives to know this is not all cut and dry. This is not all black and white. This is not all easy stuff. Faith is not the total absence of doubt, but believing despite your doubts, working through those doubts. John's gospel was written so that people who read it will come to faith. The last words of chapter 20, right after Thomas's confession of faith, right after Jesus said, because you've seen me, you believe, that's great, but blessed are those who didn't even see and they still believe. It says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the whole point. That's why he wrote the gospel. That's why much of the Bible has been written. So that people will read it and they will come to faith. So that people will believe that Jesus is their Savior and He's the Lord of their life and He's their ticket home. He's their way back to God. And He's their way to a life of meaning and, and purpose while we're still here. So, what are you going to do? What do I want you to do? What does, what does the church want you to do? Real simple. Let's look at this list here. Confess your doubts. Come to believe with an open mind and heart. Read believe every week. Pray for some understanding. Pray for God to show up and, and teach you what you need to hear as you open your heart to him. He, he wants to do that. That's his desire. I promise you, he'll meet you where you are. Explore believe through the study guide, through a class or maybe a small group in some kind. And God's going to do something amazing in your life. Talk about believing something. I believe that. I believe that if you will confess where you are, and confess even the, the, the problems you're having with faith, that God will meet you at that point as he met the father who had the demon-possessed son, as he met Thomas who was struggling to believe in the risen Christ. He will meet you and he will teach you. We're going to be singing a song in a minute about our belief. I love this song. Many of you love it as well. But before we do that, I want to invite a few people up. They don't even know I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to first invite Diana Berry. Diana, are you in here? Looking to see if she's here. I haven't seen her come in yet. Arthur? He just went out. Oh, great. <laughs> I want to invite Kevin and Natalie Baker up here. Kevin and Natalie, would you guys come up here? I know you're here. Um, I want to invite Tracy Leach, Jackie Dirksmeyer, come up here. I'm going to invite Judy Jenkins to come up here. And uh, the reason I'm inviting these people up here, uh, you may or may not even know. I was going to invite Diana and Arthur up here because Diana just recently became part of the fellowship here uh, as, a, as an immersed believer in Christ. And Arthur was baptized into Christ uh, a week and a half or so ago. And we're very excited about their decision, about their desire to follow Christ in their life. I want to invite Kevin and Natalie up here because they're going to be baptized into Christ tomorrow night. 
they made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and we're excited for them. Uh, your brother and sister-in-law are coming, right, to be part of that, to share in that. And uh, we're very excited about your decision. And I'm going to ask you right now, this moment, to ask both of you to confess uh, after me your faith in Christ. So just repeat after me. Would you join them, if you will? I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the, Christ the Son of the living God, and I make him my personal Lord and Savior. God bless you both. We're so excited. Just stay here for a minute. Right? I'm not going to let you sit down yet. Judy is also an immersed believer in Christ. Tracy and Jackie are also immersed believers in Christ who want to unite with this fellowship. They're, they're strong in their faith. I've seen that in their lives. But there's still things to work through, right? <laughs> and we want to welcome them today uh, as part of our fellowship here. And would you all repeat also the good confession today? I believe. I that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the, Christ. the Son of the living God. God bless you all. Now stay right here. I'm going to invite you to stand now, and we're all going to sing together. You can turn around toward the screen. Let's sing about our faith in our wonderful God, we believe. <coughs> Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the opportunity uh, we have to believe at all. You could have left us alone, but you didn't. Your love is so great. You've invited us to be part of your family through your son, Jesus. And I pray today that as we begin this belief series, that we will be true and genuine enough, sincere enough, honest enough to admit where we are right now. But we know this, Lord. We know we believe what we're just about ready to sing to you. Accept it as our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.